When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 12. Today's episode is all about zero waste and conscious action. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. I am so glad to be back this week. I've been focused a lot lately on the impact that I have on people, on my surroundings. And one of those focuses has been on leaving things better than when I found them. Whether that's leaving a space a little bit cleaner than when I got there, or leaving a person a little bit more inspired than when we first started our conversation. But what I can't get out of my head is the impact that I have on the planet. Earth.com did a study last year showing that while most people agree that climate change is a real problem, they're not even willing to make small changes in their day-to-day lives to decrease their own personal carbon footprint. Americans generate 4.4 pounds of trash per day per person. As a whole, that's 254 million tons per day. And this is continuous. It really makes me wonder what the Earth will be like in a hundred years. I'm not the only one thinking about this. There's actually an entire movement dedicated to it. And it's called Zero Waste. The goal is to reduce how much waste you bring home and create yourself. It doesn't mean that you get rid of all waste from your life, but it does help you drastically reduce plastics and packaging materials. The most dedicated zero wasters have even found ways to create so little waste that they can fit a year's worth in a tiny mason jar. So you're probably wondering, why are we talking about this on a show about mindset? Well, because the zero waste lifestyle is as much of a mindset as it is practical actions. In fact, transitioning to a zero waste lifestyle really begins with a change of mindset. And once you got the mindset down, then you just need to take conscious action. Today, we're talking to a very inspiring lady from Adelaide, Australia. A couple years ago, she decided that she needed a change. So she set a goal to simplify her life and decrease her consumption. Her name is Nikki Wallace, and she's been so successful at the zero waste movement. She's living that jar life we just talked about and has literally fit all of her trash for the entire year in a small little mason jar. And you thought I was kidding. So last year, she launched Almost Zero, a sustainability consultancy that helps people rethink rubbish in their homes and workplaces, which basically means she shows them the ropes of how they can effectively begin to reduce waste in their own lifestyles. 
If you're not feeling inspired by this yet, consider the fact that there are a ton of studies that show a person's happiness levels spike with a simplified, minimalist life, less consumption, less choices, and just feeling good about your overall impact on this planet. So I guess there comes a time that you got to ask yourself, do you want stuff or do you want to be happy? So here's Nikki to tell us a little bit about her company, Almost Zero, and how really small changes and really small choices we make every day can have a really profound impact on our planet. So Nikki, first off, can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for Almost Zero? Well, Almost Zero um, started as a, a bit of a response to some research that I was doing through my doctorate degree, where I was coming across all of this really intense information about sustainability and the, the global problems that we're facing at the moment. And I really wanted to do something not just within my research, but within my own life to, um, I guess, address some of those some of those issues. And almost zero just um, kind of spilled out of that. We've we've been referring to it as a a spillover project because it's just happened quite um, organically, no pun intended. Um, we just started really being more conscious about how we were moving through the the world and how we were making decisions. And all of a sudden we started to notice the repercussions of that in our rubbish bin. And so Almost Zero um, then kind of was was born as a way of giving the experience that we had just gone through to other people in a, I, I guess the the aim is really to to kind of create this little collective action that is easy enough for people to do at home that can hopefully continue to trickle out and impact more people in a really easy but long-term kind of way. I was going through some of your blog posts and you mentioned jar life, which I love, first of all. But can you tell us a little bit about what jar life is? Sure. <laughs> jar life is just me um, being silly and giving a term to us collecting our waste in a jar. So we we woke up one day and looked in the bin and thought, hey, there's really not very much rubbish in this in this bin. And then the week after we went, hey, it kind of looks the same as last week. And then I just sort of thought, you know what, we could probably be one of those collecting our waste in a mason jar people. <laughs> and um, I convinced my my husband to come on this journey with me. So we share the the waste jar. The original inspiration was for that was seeing Lauren Singer's jar of, I think she's now up to five years worth of waste in her jar. For those of you who don't know who Lauren Singer is, she is probably the most famous zero waste lifestyle girl. There have been multiple viral videos showing her methods, and she's been featured everywhere from CNN to Mashable to Yahoo Finance. I'll link to her viral video in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 012. Now here's back to Nikki and Jar Life. And I, I think it's just a really nice symbol of transparency. In a way, it's a very honest way of saying, hey, here is what I have created that's going to landfill this year, this month, you know, however long you're you're doing it for. It keeps it visible, which I think is why I like it, because trash tends to get put in bags that you can't see the contents. It's hidden. It's, it's put in rubbish bins and tucked away. And so putting it in a jar 
keeps it visible, which um, keeps you thinking about it as well. So jar life for me is it started as a challenge and it's just become how we collect our rubbish. Uh, we're, we're kicking into our 11th month in the jar um, and I, I do need to update and, and put some new images out there to, to show what's happened as a result of um, me doing some international travel and us having a house guest. Um, so, you know, the jar is about keeping things transparent and keeping it front of mind that we're consciously making these decisions to try and tread more lightly and create less landfill waste. What's it like having a house guest? I just feel like most people's habits are so opposite of zero waste with paper towels and plastic. So are your guests more inspired by you or would you say you're more frustrated by them? Or is it a combination of the two? Um, I've, I've been really practicing patience over the last year because when I first started this journey, I was getting frustrated a lot. Um, you know, a straw would rock up in my drink when I didn't ask for, you know, when I asked for, for no straw. Um, you know, someone would um, bring me food when I was dining in in a restaurant and it would be presented on disposable plates. And and it's very easy to get caught up in, in those kinds of frustrations. And so for me, it was very important to let some of that stuff go and to recognise that I was doing the best that I possibly could at any given moment in time, and so is everyone else. So when we when we went away um, last month, it was only for a couple of days, and we had a friend stay in the house to look after our dogs, and we gave him the rundown of our little, um, I guess it's the the rubbish cupboard, <laughs> um, which is is basically a, a little zone that we have where we're sorting all of our recycling, and the jar just kind of sits on the top shelf of, of that little little section in the kitchen and I gave him the tour and he just looked at me and he went but what do I do if I make rubbish and I said you know what Ruddy it's fine everyone makes rubbish at some point if you're not sure about where it should go feel free to just leave it here and I will deal with it when I get home but otherwise if it's landfill trash it goes in this jar and he just went Oh my God, it's so much pressure. <laughs> and I just said, you know what? It's, it's fine. You, you know, if, if you struggle with this, I completely understand. Oh my gosh. I feel like I would have been scared if I were him. How did he do? We got home, um, you know, a couple of days later and he'd done such an amazing job. The, the only thing that he'd put into the jar was um, a little bit of a, a, a soft plastic wrapping from a vegan sausage. And that, as it turns out, could have been washed and put into the soft plastics recycling. So we were able to actually take that out of the jar, wash it, dry it and, and recycle it. So he, he managed to go, as far as we know, he managed to go for two days without creating any landfill waste. So yay, Roddy. And the dogs loved having him as well. So it was, um, it, it worked out well. And the, the thing that I'm finding from people is that by breaking it down and explaining what we're doing one piece at a time is making it feel a little bit more achievable for others. And, and the sense that I'm getting from people is that they see what we're doing and go, wow, I could do that. I wish I could do that. No, I can do that. And so there's this, you know, you can see the cogs turning in people's heads where they sort of realize that actually they're really small things that we're doing and, and that it is achievable. 
we're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. What originally inspired you to go zero waste? And have you always been that passionate, all in, go hard type of person? Yes, I have been. Um, I started doing... Uh, work and and had a, a research interest in this space all the way back to when I first graduated out of high school. Um, I remember as a kid being really impacted by not just the way that I was brought up, but also by some some really clever ad campaigns that were designed around cleaning up Australia. And and we had this tagline which was pick it up, put it in, use your head, use a bin. And that, I mean, I was probably five or six when I was exposed to that ad campaign, but I, st- I can still hear that jingle in my head. I mean, I still have recycle, reduce, reuse in my head, but I don't feel it had as big of an impact. So there have been things along the way that have kind of shaped how I interact with the world around me. Um, my upbringing was very sustainable not intentionally so. I I often joke with my mum because she says, you know, you were brought up to be this way. And I said, yeah, mum, but your intention was not to be sustainable. It was about being frugal. And she sits and says, oh, 
yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was about saving money. <laughs> so, um, you know, things things like saving water um, in the shower when you turn the hot water tap on and you're waiting for the hot water to come out. My parents would save that water in a bucket. They would wait and then put it out in the garden. My dad would reuse absolutely everything around him to store things in. So I will go out into their shed and they will have little jars that have been nailed to the underneath of shelves to hold screws and nuts and different things like that. My my grandparents grew a lot of their own food. My grandmother would make soup from vegetable scraps. You know, so there have been all of these little things along the way from my childhood that have very much given me some of the, I guess, some of the skills that I needed to be able to live this way. But the real inspiration for me as an adult was coming in and doing my doctorate research and, and realising realizing the scope of the waste problem. What's the hardest part about living a zero-waste lifestyle for you? I think initially it was the, the discovery of what goes where, what can we have and what do we need to let go of. And I guess the... The story that I often tell people is about juice. We used to drink a lot of juice and my my partner and I would be in the supermarket looking at all of the different bottles of juice and trying, initially it was just, which, which flavour do we want this week? And then that turned into which one has the, the best packaging, you know, in terms of sustainability, what has the least amount of packaging, what's the lightest footprint? And then it sort of started to, to turn into, well, do we need juice? Do we need to be buying juice? We've got some oranges at home. We could squeeze our own juice. And so there was this really gradual shift from we love juice to we don't need juice to, hey, if we want juice, we can make it ourselves. And I think that kind of that kind of sums up that, I guess that journey that we've been on where it, it has been gradual that probably happened over about a six-week period but a lot of this has really been about rethinking and so yes it's challenging if you try and do absolutely everything all at once what I've tried to do with Almost Zero and the people that I'm I'm coaching through this process is to break it down and make sure that they're only tackling one or two things at a time from one week to the next or from one month to the next because by taking it all on at once it's too much and it, and it, it becomes overwhelming so it's about those small baby steps and I like to explain to people that you know like the juice story some of these things take time to really sink in and to have that impact on your thinking that makes you decide to do something differently. You recently traveled to New York and I feel like the contrast there must have been intense for you. What were some of the biggest differences that you noticed between Australian culture and American culture when it comes to waste? I think the the biggest thing for me when I when I hit the streets of New York was seeing garbage bags lined up all over the streets. That blew my mind. And initially I was so offended by it. <laughs> Sorry, New York, I do love you. But yeah, I just thought, wow, this is this is insane. Look at all of this trash. And then I started talking to people about it, and they were explaining that um, in New York there are no there are no bins, there are no dumpsters. Um, the trash goes out on the street and it gets collected every day. And I sort of went, whoa, every day. 
and then I've you know had that gentle reminder that there are uh, you know 8.6 billion uh, million people in New York and there are only 1.4 million in in Adelaide where I'm from so you know obviously the the number of of humans creating trash is eight times as much as what I have in my hometown but just seeing it and smelling it <laughs> and seeing rats crawling through it was really confronting and I said to someone while I was over there that as much as I found that really confronting, there was something also really honest about it because it's out there. You can see it. No one's hiding it in a bin and then just putting that out on the side of their street once a week to get collected. It sits out the front of your apartment building. And so if you're conscious about trying to reduce that that contribution that you're making to landfill, you have a daily reminder. And there was something that I kind of liked about that, that idea that you can't hide it. You can't turn an eye, a blind eye to it because it is there and uh, you have to acknowledge it. So how does that compare with Australian culture around recycling and waste? There's a big culture in Australia about recycling because we have a, a recycling bin that we can just put everything into. Um, not absolutely everything, but a lot, um, a lot of food packaging um, and, and bottle drink bottles and that sort of stuff can all go into this commingle um, recycling bin that our local councils come and pick up for us every fortnight. So it becomes a little bit easier when someone else is is dealing with um, the sorting of it and, and putting it in its right place. I think for Australians, recycling has become there, – there is a culture around recycling, almost to the detriment um, of how we think about rubbish because now there's this awareness of how important recycling is, but it's unfortunately – becomes such an issue for us that we we have so much recycling that we don't know what to do with it and no one wants to take it from us so um i've i've been trying to build a little bit more awareness about recycling as um you know a last option recycling is basically delayed landfill and there are all of these other things that you can do before you try and recycle something for for america to not have that recycling system in place i think makes this kind of lifestyle a lot more challenging. Yeah, I know that bigger cities such as Los Angeles have the big commingling recycling bins. But the problem I find is even with that, there's just this air of complacency around it all. Yeah, the experience that I had was very disposable. And I think that culture is quite ingrained within not just American society, but within a lot of Western societies, this, this idea about convenience and time saving and take it away. You don't have to stay here and drink that coffee. Here, have a takeaway cup. And the language around those kinds of activities and those kinds of behaviors becomes really important because takeaway versus disposable um, puts two different kinds of ideas into our into our heads and takeaway is convenient and how wonderful I can just take it away but disposable is oh I'm using this once and then throwing it away so we can kind of draw a line in the sand between I guess how we term some of these um, activities that we're involved with but certainly the, the disposable culture in the states was far more prevalent than what I've experienced in Australia. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. 
but then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself. And it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month. And their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's such a bummer. Why do you think that is? I think in the the last probably six to seven months, there's been a little bit of an awakening within Australian culture because we've had this amazing TV show that's just aired on the ABC called War on Waste. And what that show has done has really opened people's eyes to the amounts of waste that we're creating. And one of the things that was tackled was disposable coffee cups. We have a huge coffee culture here. Uh, You guys have it too. And the one thing that I noticed, one of the first things I noticed when I got to America was you you can't have a cup of coffee anywhere in a mug or a a glass or a a reusable um, a reusable cup. Everything gets served in disposables, even if you're dining in. And that really shocked me because in Australia, if you're dining in, it's in a mug or a you know a glass of some sort. And if you're taking away, you either have your own um, takeaway cup that you reuse or you get a disposable takeaway cup. 
And what the war on waste has done, that what that TV show has done for Australians has really opened their eyes to how much waste we create as a result of that takeaway coffee culture. And so all of a sudden, sales for keep cups spiked to such a, an extreme that they were out of stock everywhere. You, you couldn't buy a keep cup to save yourself if you didn't have one already. Um, there are a whole bunch of coffee shops that popped up and started offering mug walls so they'd have an entire wall that was just full of a whole bunch of different mugs that you could go in and borrow. And you could borrow a mug from the wall, get your coffee in that mug, go away, drink it, and bring the mug back next time you came to the coffee shop. Uh, I have to say I'm a little jelly about Australia's sustainability initiatives. <laughs> In Northern European culture, there's a lot of really great sustainability initiatives that come out of Northern Europe. And we feel it just like you guys do, where you look at other countries and go, oh, why can't we be doing that? Why can't we have a recycling mall like Sweden has? You know, and, and those sorts of things take time. But I think when enough people create a need for it, it happens. And so it's really just about building that that awareness within our own countries that, that we can do better than what we're doing already. When it comes to bringing our own disposable mugs or, or reusable tin after a meal, I feel like a lot of people feel awkward about even asking a restaurant to do something like that. Do you find that's ever the case with people in Australia? Or are you guys just more evolved in that area than we are no uh, it, absolutely there are so many people that feel really self-conscious about it and it's because it's not the norm um, it's becoming more normal to walk into a, a cafe or a coffee shop with your own cup and to ask for your coffee to be put into your own cup and actually there are a lot of cafes that now offer um, a discount so it costs 50 cents less to, to get a coffee in your own cup compared to what it costs to get coffee in a takeaway cup. So they're starting to kind of change the way that people think about reusing your own things. And so and that's great. It's a really important part of, uh, of that transition from disposable to reusable because you, the, the stigma that you feel when you pull, you know, your little tin out of your bag and ask for your salad to be put in that, that's the kind of stigma that prevents people from continuing to live this way. So we really do need to to rethink how we we think about the reusable stuff. It it needs to have that stigma removed in order for people to feel comfortable to use those products all the time. And I must admit, when I was in America using my own keep cup, I got some very strange looks from people. And I, I only saw two other in I was in the States for just under or in, in between two and three weeks. And in that whole time, I saw two other reusable coffee cups. Oh, that's so sad. It, it was, that was really eye-opening to me, though, as well, to see, you know, 8.6 million people walking around with, with their disposables. And then, you know, the, the people with their reusables were like these little beacons of light, this, oh, look, there's a reusable. <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, it was always really nice to see one, but it was really rare. And it's still not the norm here. Don't, I don't want to give the impression that it is because it's not. There are still a lot of people that feel that, sort of awkward kind of, oh, can I use my own? Um, and I think that's completely a completely normal response to feeling like you're the only person doing this thing at this moment in time. Once more people get involved in this kind of behaviour, 
it will become more normal and the, the stigma will just disappear. But we, we all need to participate and we all need to start making those decisions and being prepared when we leave the house and making sure that we've got our cup and we've got a container to put some food in or, um, you know, a reusable drink bottle, whatever, whatever the kit is that you feel like you need to leave the house that day. Part of this is just about being prepared for, for whatever the day brings. Are there any common misconceptions about recycling and what's recyclable and what isn't and how to recycle this that we could just clear up right now? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of confusion about what can and can't be recycled. And a lot of that confusion actually comes from the packaging itself. There are recycling symbols on almost everything. And it doesn't mean that it's not recyclable, but it might not be recyclable through the systems that we have in place. So blister packs is a, is a great example of, of a, a product that is technically recyclable. The plastic and the foil can both be stripped apart and they can both be recycled independently of one another, um, but it does require a particular facility to do so. And um, I'm actually in, in conversations with um, an organisation here to try and set up a blister pack recycling initiative so that we can actually capture that product. We can use the foil component and recycle that here. Um, and I'm just looking for another organisation now that, that can use the plastic component because that's the that's the, the part that I have the beef with. <laughs> plastic is there's so much of it. Um, it's, it has an extreme longevity um, to it as a material. So to just pull that away and send it off to China, which is what happens with a lot of plastic recycling, and people don't necessarily have an understanding of where it goes once it goes in the recycling bin. And I think that's probably part of the, the misconceptions and myths of recycling is once I put that in my recycling bin, it's been recycled. And no, it hasn't, not yet. You've just put it in a bin to, to send it somewhere. I think the 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 situation that Australia has at the moment with plastics recycling is pretty significant. And we also have a problem with glass. There is glass mounting, mounting up in facilities all over the country because we've got so much of it, we don't know what to do with it anymore. Apparently, China's been taking trash from the US as well. But as of January 2018, they just placed a ban on overseas garbage. China have just turned around and said, hey, Australia, we're actually not going to take all of your plastics recycling anymore unless it meets this standard. And the standard that they're trying to, to meet is, is one that, that gives them highly uncontaminated plastic. And unfortunately, the system that we have, which is commingled and, you know, oh, don't worry about rinsing that container, just pop it straight in your bin. If it's just got a few crumbs in it, it's fine. Um, that kind of recycling is the stuff that China doesn't want anymore. But unfortunately, Australians have been conditioned to recycle in a particular way. And it's a, a lazy way, I guess, is a, um, a cheeky way of putting it. Call me oblivious, but I didn't realize that that is where our recycling has been going this whole time. But now that China's cutting us off, it's going to be even more important to stop using the recycling bin as a scapegoat to be wasteful. And maybe one day soon, when we hear the word recycling, we won't just think of that bin. We'll be thinking of other creative uses for whatever it is that we no longer want or need. You know, I think that idea of, oh, no, this can't be recycled isn't always true. 
almost everything can have another life after you've finished using it. It's just about how hard you think about what it could be once you've finished with it. And certainly the the issues that we've had with the you know glass jars mounting up, um, a lot of people didn't know about that. And again, that was a, a, a documentary show on the ABC that really highlighted that problem to Australians. And it made us rethink buying all of the, the, the replacement products that we were buying in supermarket um, in glass. We suddenly went, oh, well, glass is a problem now as well. We, we can't just not buy the plastic one and buy the glass one instead. We now need to find a replacement for the glass one that's in no packaging at all. So, you know, glass jars accumulate in our cupboard now and I'm really loath to just stick them in the recycling bin. I know that they can technically be recycled, but I also know that it's a problem that's that's mounting up. So I'm trying to find other ways that I can use those jars. And so sometimes I put preserves in them or, you know, I'll make a batch of sugar scrub um, to um, scrub my hands with after I've been gardening and, you know, I'll use those jars to store that. But there are so many that, you know, I need to keep finding other uses for them. And so my my latest trick is to fill them with dirt and pop them out in the garden and grow things in them or use them as drainage in the bottom of larger pots that I'm planting into. So, you know, you, there are definitely misconceptions about what can be recycled, about recycling being the solution. Um, that's definitely a huge myth. Um, and also around things that we think are landfill that can actually be recycled. They just can't be recycled in our council bin setup. So breaking down some of those myths can be really, really tricky. And you, we're talking about, you know, years and years of, I think, 20, around 20 years we've been recycling through councils in Australia. So you're talking about a, a re-education to try and remove 20 years worth of habit out of the equation. And that can be tricky. That can definitely be tricky. And I will say that if we all begin with a mindset shift of being a little bit more conscious of everything that we do, it stops seeming like, well, there's one more thing we have to look out for. And it becomes, I need to take responsibility for my own life, my own actions, and the impact I have on my surroundings. And if it helps, just think about building up those karma points like I do. So what is one of the most creative ways you've ever recycled something? <laughs> um, I felt pretty creative when I was sticking those jars in the bottoms of my my garden, garden beds last weekend. <laughs> um, when it comes to reusing something, the only limitation is your imagination. You know, old clothes that are being converted into to new things. So, you know, an old jumper can turn into a dog bed. Old T-shirts can be turned into yarn and made into rag rugs. And, you know, so there are some really lovely kind of creative responses to, to those sorts of things. I think the glass jar in the garden bed is probably the most creative I've been with my recycling, though. She's being modest. I've been perusing her blog, and she even repurposed an old straw hat into a flower pot. And not only was it functional, it was adorable. But what about the environmental impact of this new delivery culture with Amazon Prime and Thrive Market and even delivery drones? 
Yeah, I I come from a, a a background of buying online because I hate shopping in stores, um, and and that was a really big habit for me to break. I at one point was playing eBay like it was a game on my phone. Save the princess, buy it now, and and it was it was bad. I've I've got a blog entry about the night that my chin bought a handbag on eBay because I dropped my phone on my face and my chin hit the buy it now button. So you know I've I've had my I've had my share of bad um, online purchasing moments. Um, one of the things that I made a, a conscious effort to try and do this year was to buy less online. Um, and that's not to say that I haven't bought anything because I have bought a few things here and there. But I've really tried to make a conscious effort to do a lot less online purchasing. Because I started to think about the fact that, yeah, it's all coming in recyclable um, materials and that's great. And then that awareness of what recycling really is started to kick in. And I thought, well, you know what? If I had just given myself a little bit more time and not been so lazy and actually gone down to a shop, I could have bought this locally and saved on that packaging. With purchasing of big ticket items, there's probably a cutoff point where it is better to just buy it online. But with some of the smaller stuff where, you know, it, it's really just about the convenience of lying in bed or lying on the couch and, and clicking a button on my phone or my, my tablet and, and having something come through to me, you know, without me having to leave the house, that convenience comes at a price. Nikki and I share a commonality in that we're both vegan, and we were discussing before the call the link between veganism, zero waste, and sometimes even minimalism. The reason for this is that when you dedicate your life to one of them, some really big mindset shifts start to occur, especially around the impact of our personal existence on the future of the planet. But thankfully, what starts out feeling like a major sacrifice soon becomes just a way of life. Everything just gets easier as you get into your groove with your new habits. And as you rack up those karma points, all the little bits of goodness that you're doing start translating into huge rewards in the rest of your life. Absolutely. I initially thought it was just a pious, I feel good because I'm doing the right thing. I've realized since then that it's not a feel-good thing from doing the right thing. It's actually because I've simplified so many things about my life in terms of how I move forward, really thinking before I buy things, do I need this? Why am I buying it? Um, is it going to add value to my life? What What is it bringing me that I can't get from what I already have? So I am finding that this intersection between zero waste, minimalism and veganism is bringing me a real sense of of calm and peace. Zero waste has helped me to declutter and has helped me to reprogram my brain to not try and find happiness through shopping. And the, the minimalist kind of approach is really sort of tying all of that together. And so that sense of calm that comes from all of that is, is actually really lovely. And I feel like I should be really stressed. You know, I'm two years into my doctorate. Um, you know, I, my desk is a mess because I'm reading 27 different papers and books at the moment. And yet I feel this real sense of calm. And I think that sense of calm comes from these other aspects of my life where I feel like things are just kind of ticking along nicely. 
what are some of the steps that you took to transitioning to a lower waste lifestyle that our listeners could replicate at home? So the the thing for us was the first thing was sort of recognizing, hey, if we make a couple of really small changes, that's going to have huge impact. So the first step was really being observant about what trash are we making? And so the job becomes quite helpful in that respect because it's visible and you can see it. Um, the second thing was um, was really starting to ask why are we buying the things that we are buying? Do we need the, the two litres of juice every week or can we actually make some juice on a Sunday morning with some oranges? And so the the easiest thing that where we started was swapping products that we were buying that were convenient for other product choices instead. Some of the other stuff like making things from scratch, I have a lot of people that say, oh, but I don't have time for that. And I I completely understand the time pressures because I'm an incredibly time poor person. I've got a lot going on in my life. But there's something about the things that we do as part of making um, that don't feel like they take a lot of time. You know, I can whip up a batch of deodorant in um, less than two minutes. I can make a batch of toothpaste in less than five minutes. I made a batch of uh, cashew milk five minutes before you called me today because I realized that I wanted a coffee and we had run out of milk. And and so, you know, when you talk to people about making things from scratch and everyone sort of goes, oh, God, I don't have time for that. Actually, you probably do. You don't realize how easy some of these things are. Um, so really, for me, I think step one is looking at what you've got and what you're creating and looking for opportunities to change that. That's a really great point because the biggest hurdle is usually just the unknown. For example, if you don't have a current workout routine, then waking up on Monday morning and creating one seems really difficult because you have to decide what type of workout you want, where you're going to go. You don't know what it's like when you get there. You don't know about the sign-up process. But when you already have that routine, it starts to become second nature. Half the time, I leave my house 10 minutes before my yoga class starts, and I wake up 10 minutes before that. So if decreasing your waste seems like a daunting task, try baby steps. Replace one thing at a time until, before you know it, people are asking you how you did it. So Nikki, are there any final things that you'd like our listeners to know about you or the zero waste lifestyle? I think I I would really love for people to be willing to try it. I was gobsmacked at how easy it was once I actually started. Um, I know it feels overwhelming um, and it seems almost impossible to 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 just have a jar of trash um, and to to tread this lightly and to do all of these different things. But I think the the big take home is that it is easy. It's about how you think about it and how much you want it. So I would really encourage people to start with a 30-day challenge and and just try it and see see how it fits and, and give it a go because it's definitely something that I never thought I would be able to achieve, but I have been able to. And so that makes me feel like anyone can do it. <laughs> if, a, if a hoarding shopaholic can change their ways, then anyone can. <laughs> So who out there wants to take a 30-day challenge? I know I'm inspired. And I love, love, loved this episode. 
And I really love people who inspire me to change the world, even if it just starts with myself. To find out more about Nikki, I highly suggest you check out her website and blog at almostzero.com.au. She's in Australia, so don't forget that AU. Or you can head to the show notes of this episode at mindlove.com slash 012, where I will link to her blog and her social so you can be inspired to make these small little changes in your day that have a big impact on the planet. I hope you don't mind this episode was a little bit longer than the other ones, but there was just so much good information, I couldn't decide what to cut down. If you love this episode and want more, please hit the subscribe button. And if you have a moment, leave a review. They really help us get more awesome guests like Nikki. If you have any comments on this episode, tweet at us at mindlovepodcast or send me an email at melissa at mindlove.com. Thanks for giving your mind and the planet a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. Thank you.